Some call me Steve, Dad, Husband or Friend. Others might call me Boss, Coach or Mentor. Today you can call me the Leadership Hacker. Thanks for listening in, I really appreciate it. My job as the Leadership Hacker is to hack into the minds, experiences, habits and learning of great leaders, C-suite executives, authors and development experts so that I can assist you developing your understanding and awareness of leadership. I'm Steve Rush and I'm your host today. I'm the author of Leadership Cake, I'm a transformation consultant and leadership coach and can't wait to start sharing all things leadership with you. Our special guest on today's show is Matt Summers. Matt's a management consultant specialising in providing coaching skills for managers and leaders. He's got over 20 years experience as developing leaders as coaches. But before we get a chance to speak with Matt, it's a Leadership Hacker News. There's a coaching theme in today's show, so for those of you that have been regular listeners, you may have heard me talk about the notion of having helpful conversations. There are purists out there who condemn coaches for giving advice, tips and ideas and straying off the line of pulling the information and helping their coaches self-discover. Well, the lines are often blurred between coaching, teaching, mentoring and counselling. And the reason for this is that many people receiving coaching, or coaches as they're often referred to, have challenges, situations and goals that are not very linear. In fact, need a blended approach. And that's why I invite you today to reframe coaching into having a helpful conversation. That way we don't beat ourselves up for not sticking to the script. You'll hear Matt talk today about the coaching leadership style, which embraces the helpful conversation philosophy. A coaching leadership style is an approach that creates the culture of high performance. The characteristics of this culture is collaboration, empowerment, fulfillment, and collaboration is the most important of these characteristics, and this is often contrasted against the command and control approach, which we all know stifles potential. Coaching leadership incorporates coaching mindsets and behaviours, synthesising them to create the highest potential and the highest performing type of leadership. And it does it by unlocking and enabling potential. So the next time one of your team or a client asks you for coaching, take the opportunity to consider your approach. But don't get hung up over the conversation. Just make sure it's a helpful one. I just want to take this time to say thank you to our listeners who have been sending us information and ideas that appear in the Leadership Hacking News week on week. So if you also have a topic or an idea that you'd like us to cover, please just continue sending them in and get in touch with us through our various social media sites. So that's been the Leadership Hacking News. Let's get into the show. Matt Summers is a super coach who helps senior leaders to become better coaches and have more powering and sometimes difficult conversations. Matt's also the author of Coaching at Work. Matt, welcome to the Leadership Hacker podcast. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Great to be here. So tell us a little bit about Matt. Tell you a little bit about Matt. Well, um, the place to start probably is uh, I'm a failed banker. Um, So I I came out of education and and started working in, uh, in banking here in the UK and um, found that I wasn't very good at that, Steve. I, I would lend people money. They, they had a habit of not giving it back. <laughs> um, th- these days, that probably qualifies you for a knighthood, you know. But uh, back in the early 1980s when I started my career, that, that, that wasn't much uh, 
that wasn't much cop. So I guess somebody somewhere thought, well, we need to do something else with this guy. And I, I found myself in the world of personnel and training and so on, you know, and, and found that that was um, a very comfortable place for me to be. I, I really enjoyed this idea of, of thinking more about the people who were this side of the counter rather than the, the public, the customers, the other side. So so began really a lifelong interest in the idea of, of developing people to the point where um, later on in my, in my time in banking, I found myself uh, on, on a coaching course and learning about coaching. This would have been the early 90s where the idea of coaching in business was still pretty new. Uh, to me, it came along as an absolute revelation. Uh, and I remember thinking, well, if I'd been managed this way, um, life would have been a lot easier, you know, and I, I'd have probably gone a lot further. Yeah. Um, and then when I, I took my exit from banking and, and set up by myself, um, the obvious specialism um, that was suggesting itself to me, I suppose, was to get into the idea of the, of the leader as coach and start running courses and programs and so on uh, with that in mind. Awesome. And you've dedicated your whole career really in, since then in helping other people and helping leaders think of themselves more like coaches. I have. Yes. I mean, I've, I, I've done other things. And I suppose, though, that one of, one of the, the, the things that I discovered was that there was little else that seemed to be as useful to the leaders that I was working with than getting their head around the notion of, of coaching for performance, getting results from, from their staff, making that transition from uh, being somebody who got results for him or herself through their own endeavours um, through to getting results via other people, which I, I think is one of the trickiest uh, career transitions to make, Steve, isn't it? It's very obvious in, say, something like sales, where typically we take the best performing salesperson at that point in time uh, and give them the role of sales manager uh, and then wonder why they struggle a bit. But the, the skill set's almost diametrically opposed. Is, yeah. They're, they're very, different, very different disciplines. Yeah. So... If somebody said to you, Matt, what is a leader as a coach and how does that differ? Just give us your spin on that. Well, this is really interesting to me because I'm going to say I, I, I'm not sure it does um, in, in important ways. So um, I, I have this uh, idea that leaders are coaches, whether they like it or not. And uh, the genesis of that idea, I, I, as I said in the previous answer, used to uh, alongside running my coaching courses, would do other sort of leadership development type activity. And I would often get the groups I was working with to produce lists and I would have them list the qualities of an effective leader. And then on other programs would have them list the qualities of an effective coach. And what I began to find more and more was the two lists were very, very similar to the point of being identical. For example, uh, qualities that were often cited on both lists would be trustworthiness. It would be able to keep focus it would be being a good listener i mean boy that came up time and time again mm. so i realized that certainly through viewed through the lens of what is it that our people want then the roles of leader and coach are synonymous in in, in my experience now you know other people have, have fought me over this and that's fine because i understand that there are you know if, if the two venn diagrams overlap at that point then there's clearly sort of other things that both roles do separately but uh in terms of the leader as coach, you know, I, I found that the level of skills and attributes and qualities, they're, 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 they're so similar. So I'd love to kick this around a little bit more. Okay. The whole principle of I'm a leader and leader, by the way, as 
you know, I've been bleating on about for years, doesn't have to be a hierarchical thing. It's somebody who assumes that role mm. and provides that support, counsel, encouragement. It doesn't have to be a job role. But let's just assume for this conversation we're talking about leadership in terms of hierarchy and management levels. Okay. What's your experience that as people gain their hierarchical levels, so they become more senior in their roles, mm. do you observe them coaching more or less? That's a great question, isn't it? I'm going to say I, I think I observe them coaching less. Yeah, that's my observation too. And yeah. I just wondered what your thoughts were as to why that would be. Well, I think firstly, that is because of a confusion between leadership and expertise. My observation would be that leaders often feel that they assert their lead or they, they feel they have to assert their leadership through their expertise. They've got to be the guy with the answers. If people come to them with a problem, leadership requires them to, to solve that problem, you know, to, to have seen this before, to have encountered this issue before and, and know what to do about it. And I think, well, my goodness me, if that, if that wasn't the case before February 20, it certainly isn't the case now. Um, post-COVID, I find that a lot of work I'm doing is with leaders who say, look, Matt, you know, my experience, my expertise is kind of redundant now. We're coming back to this so-called new normal and the, the rules of the game have changed. How do, I, how do I help my own people when I don't any longer have the answers? You know, so I think one of the reasons why leaders coach less is a false expectation that they shouldn't have to somehow, um, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I think the other notion is that as a senior leader who is also maybe managing senior leaders, mm. there might be an assumed level of capability and expertise that requires them to coach less. Where in my experience, actually, is that that's a great opportunity to really unlock that knowledge, skills and capability to coach more. I'd agree with you. I think it's this idea of, of leadership by osmosis, you know, mm. that somehow you're supposed to be imbued with all of these skills and abilities um, overnight because somebody's now put the word leader on, on your business card yeah. on the just description. I, I have a, a friend of mine, quite a well-known speaker called uh, Andy Hanselman, and he has a lovely turn of phrase when he says, leadership's the job you get by being good at something else, um, <laughs> which goes back to mm -hmm. this idea of, you know, best performing salesperson, turn them into leader, wonder why they struggle. Because in many ways, you know, lead, leadership is a learned skill, isn't it? There's certainly um, skills and attributes that, that can be developed, even if one is a, a sort of natural leader to begin with. So it's fair to expect that people are going to need to go through that learning journey and get a chance to practice their, their leadership skills, get a chance to develop them and to be able to acknowledge when they're struggling with the leadership requirement. That's right. Yeah. And I, I guess also many leaders are also line managers and there is maybe a, a subtle difference with coaching as a line manager we have skin in the game mm. having absolutely no vested interest and I wondered what your thoughts and observations were about that as a notion I, I, I agree with that I think if I recall the days when I would have groups assembled in front of me and we, we'd be running coaching programs and this would often come up in discussion and I would find myself saying I, I think people like me external coaches in some ways have an easier job than does the internal coach because we don't have those other requirements to manage at the same time. So if I'm a line manager coaching a group of people, 
well, I've also probably got to manage their workflow. You know, I've got sickness absence to deal with. I've got all, all sorts of other things going on at the same time, including, by the way, that I might have to be maybe the disciplinarian sometimes um, with, with, with some of those same folks, you know, having to, to have some difficult conversations and, and have people wake up and smell the beans so, sometimes. So I, I think that, um, you know, coaching alongside other management responsibilities can be... Uh, a tricky combination but it can certainly be done because I think where the coaching approach is sort of inherently part of the managers or the leadership style so it's coaching as part and parcel of who I am and how I conduct myself rather than coaching as a task that I pick up and put down like a performance appraisal or, or something else then I think the beauty of coaching is it enables you to have that sort of default way of dealing with people that you can move in and out of then you know and and, and perhaps toughen things up if that's even the right expression uh, if you need to yeah so what i think i heard you say was coaching as a way of being rather than something that you periodically do definitely yeah definitely i think that's where that's where the prize is um and and again when i'm working with leaders who um who, who want to learn about coaching i think one of their one one of the barriers that they'll start the training with is where the hell am i going to find time for this you know as if i'm not busy enough already and now this guy's going to have me wanting to do all these coaching conversations. Well, the, the way that I address that is to say that all of those occasions in which you could do some great coaching are happening anyway. You're just maybe not seeing them as a, as a coaching opportunity. But I, I think really as a, as a line manager or leader, and, and I'm going to make the distinction and say to me, that's somebody who has to get results through others, at least in part. You know? So yeah. my assumption is that somebody's got the typical sort of six or eight people that are reporting into them. Well, really, any time one of those people calls you up and has a conversation about something that they're struggling with or something that's already going quite well, they, they're, they're getting bored now and want to take it to the next level, those are coaching opportunities. The, the, the day is full of them. And, and so in some ways, you know, if we, if we abandon this idea that coaching has to be some formal timetable setup um, and that instead it, it's part and parcel of natural day-to-day -day activity well then you don't need to find additional time to do a new task that's right yeah great stuff i remember for when the last time you and i met goals have been something that's forefront of your mind that's part of your kind of coaching philosophy i just wanted to explore the fact that in the changing world that we're in now how easy is it to help people keep focused on their goals when the world around them is changing so readily yeah well it depends what you mean by goals, I think, uh, first and foremost. That's probably a so, good place to start, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah, because when we think about, um, say, the, the, the SMART model, the, the goal ought to be specific, measurable, achievable, uh, relevant and time-bound, or, or variations thereof. Those are what I think of, or I've come to appreciate as, as performance goals. You know, So run 100 metres in under 10 seconds, or put 1,000 people through health and safety training in a given year. Um, we need only to think about the, the start of uh, 2020 when the pandemic hit to realise how vulnerable those sorts of goals are to, to changing circumstances. So perhaps the way to deal with that is to recognise that there are, there are other sort of elements or, or, or other parts of, of goals, if you like. Now, I'm going to say this was popularised most recently by Simon Sinek, you know, and the idea of start with the why. Yeah. So... But the why or the, or the end goal or the dream goal, using my same two examples, would be I want to win Olympic gold or we want to eliminate accidents. So 
that if we keep our eye on the, the long term, the ultimate goal, then we can adjust the, the performance goals underneath that without quite so much disruption. And, and the way to do that, I mean, there are various ways people have vision boards or storytelling uh, is very popular now to describe that sort of high level goal. And then the ones that cascade from that, we can be much more nimble with, you know, they, they sort of survive um, ever changing circumstances. Yeah. And I guess also underneath those performance goals, there are things that you have every single day that you have high levels of control over that make those performance goals become more of a reality, right? Well, I call those processes, yeah? So again, um, if we follow those couple of examples, um, the dream is to win Olympic gold, and then the performance goal might be on one occasion, run 100 meters in under 10 seconds. But there need to be supporting processes, of course, wouldn't there? But a training regimen and diet, all of that. Same with the, with the, the health and safety requirement. You know, we're gonna need tick sheets and control and check mechanisms and and all sorts of processes. And when I'm coaching people, one of the things I find is often very useful is to make sure that those three things line up. Uh, the, the end goal or the dream, the performance goals and the processes are all um, synchronized, uh, if you see what I mean. Yeah, totally. And I guess without that focus on those processes and performance, the end goal isn't going to happen anyway, because you have absolutely no control over it, right? Of course, yeah, and and I think the other thing that happens, um, and it often makes people in a work situation very frustrated, is um, maybe the end goal's changed, or, or or it has inside of them, you know, what they consider to be important, but they're still pursuing the same old processes. You know, their their work life therefore becomes very sort of uh, boring and frustrating and and tedious. Um, because their end point has changed, but the, their other goals and processes haven't sort of caught up. Um, and it can happen the other way around as well. This, this is very common, uh, I think, in coaching, that people are, are very focused on the sort of the end point, the big picture, the, the vision, um, but haven't really thought through down to a detailed level, well, what does this require me to do sort of day in, day out, or week in, week out, in order to move slowly, gradually, but... Um, uh, definitely towards that. So you you need all three. You know, we we need the inspiration and the and the mechanism, um, and and the goal as well. You know, that sort of determines what that looks like. The the specification. And I wonder if it's because those folk who were very successful during the pandemic perhaps had that focus around what was in their control, versus those who felt out of control at that time. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think so. And I, and I think that other people maybe found that during the pandemic, certainly at the start. I mean, the, the, the stuff that I follow online was was full of people who um, had had escaped their what do you call it? The, the mouse's wheel. You know, they were they were like a rat that had been lifted out of the maze and had stopped sort of running around, banging their head against uh, walls and had actually maybe for the first time in their career really been able to stop and, and sit down and think and wonder about what they really wanted from life and, and what was it all about and and I think we're still seeing that shake out now and 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 I think it'll carry on for some time to come before we as a society have, have moved fully through that process yeah I agree I agree Matt yeah very interesting times very interesting times to be working in fields like yours and mine Steve definitely yeah and the great news is is with a little bit of focus a little bit of clarity of some of the things that people can have high levels of control in. It sets the motivation and momentum off, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. 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 
Now, you wrote the very successful book, Coaching at Work, and within that, you created the peak coaching model. And I'd love to kick mm. around the concept of what the peak coaching model is and how we could use it. Okay, sure. Well, um, the, the first thing I want to say is that that, that model um, is very much a synthesis of the work of two main influences on me. Now, one would be, listeners might have heard of these guys, one would be Tim Galway, um, most famous for the inner game of tennis, but also a series of inner game books. Yeah. Uh, and then the late Sir John Whitmore here in the UK. And um, Great guy. I had the pleasure of working with him about 15 years ago. Oh, well, OK. So, <laughs> you know, you're, he was a great guy. Uh, we, we, we miss him terribly. And um, he, he and Tim did a lot of work together, of course, so they influenced each other. But I, I want to say that I've always felt my book did a poor job of acknowledging them um, and, and, and the source of my ideas. So I'm always very happy to sort of reinforce um, that a lot of what I talk about in, in my stuff, you know, very, very much builds on uh, and takes some of those ideas and, and resynthesizes them. And my the model that um, I, I wrote about in, in my book, uh, I guess would be take a while to explain, but I thought it might be nice just to pass on a couple of sort of essences from that uh, that people can start to, to play with. Awesome. Let's do it. Uh, straight away. Hacks, dare, dare yeah, I say. Yes. Yeah. So, um, Taken from uh, the work of Tim Galway is um, something that became known as the, the coaching equation. And that you would, you would set out as saying that uh, a person's performance is equal to their potential minus the interference. Right? So if you can imagine that sort of expressed as a, a formula, you've got a big P equals little p minus I. So seen in that way, if we want to improve performance and, you know, that that itself comes under a number of guises, but it might be, you know, sales improvement or quality or who, who knows how we would judge performance. But to improve that, we can do one of two things. We can either add to potential, and that's what a lot of orthodox training and development is all about, isn't it? It's giving people more stuff to lean into, more skills, more, more experiences. Yeah. Or we can look at reducing or eliminating interference. And this to me is one of the ways in which coaching uh, is different from, from other training and development methods. And I think that we do the latter of those um, less often and, and there is low hanging fruit by paying attention to that. Uh, one of the things that I encourage uh, coaching leaders, coaching managers to do is to think what is interfering? You know, there might be external interference that could be to do with policy, procedures, culture, the way the organization runs. More often, though, it's, it's what we might think of as internal interference that the individual who's trying to do their best stuff is experiencing in the moment. So that is probably some sort of expression of fear or self-doubt. Um, imposter syndrome is very popular at the moment. People uh, are talking quite a lot about that. You know, the way in which mentally we, we get in our own way. So, so there's a first hack, you know, we, rather than put all of our attention on raising potential, pay some attention to reducing interference. And, and I think you'll find that, um, you know, there's, there's some immediate headway to be made on that. Great. I love that. Really love it. And now the other hack, uh, 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 and my model sort of goes on to build on that because performance, doing, doing something that we're good at, doing that well, I think is a, a key source of this idea of intrinsic motivation. Now, again, that in itself is a is a big topic, but intrinsic motivation to me means, you know, something that's motivating inherently in the work itself rather than being introduced externally from outside pay and, and, and other rewards. 
Performance, doing something well, is a source of intrinsic motivation, but so too is learning and enjoyment. So learning, again, let me clarify, I don't mean necessarily going off on courses and qualifications, but finding the work interesting, you know, being able to be curious about things and, and get answers to questions. And enjoyment, okay, again, not necessarily something introduced from outside, socialising or something like that, but just finding the work inherently enjoyable. But I think the mistake that we often make is to see those things as separate and almost competing activities. Yeah. Almost as if we could say, well, we can be performing, we can be learning, or we can be enjoying. But again, there's a quick win there if we start seeing those things as part and parcel of the same experience. If we can start creating an environment for people in which they can perform, learn, and enjoy at the same time, mm. the potential for that to, to affect results is, is mammoth. You know, there's, there's some real uh, headway to be made there. There sure is, definitely. So we've tapped into a couple of coaching hacks. Mm. Now's the time for us to spin around a little bit and okay. think about your leadership experience and all of the great leaders you've worked with and for and the teams that you've led. Yep. What would be your top three leadership hacks, Matt? Well, uh, again, I mean, many of them, I suppose, are going to resonate uh, with, with the coaching approach, but maybe that's because I have this idea that they're, they're almost one in the same thing. But um, I, I guess there, it comes down to three, three, three hacks. Ask, listen, and observe. So to, to go through them one by one, ask is not just the... If we, if we think of um, maybe we've got somebody working the telephone and they're, they're in a customer service role or a sales role or something like that, they're working with customers. What I don't mean is the typical sort of high level, how did that call go? That's not what I mean by asking more questions. It might be something like, Thinking about the call you've just had, at what point in that call did you know you were going to have a successful outcome? And depending on what the answer is, we might delve into that more deeply. Well, was it something to do with the customer's tone or was it the word that they used? You know, I want to ask a question that's really going to require the person I'm leading or coaching to, to notice what's happening to them. You know, it's a subtly different sort of question. I think good leaders are able to be incisive. They're able to cause their people to pause for thought and learn from their own experience. So, so ask, asking more. Um, listening, that comes up always, doesn't it? It does, yeah. If we're trying to, um, to develop a leader's ability. And, and, and I think that of the countless times I've asked people to think about uh, improving their listening or what do they notice in, in those that do that well, three things are key. One is use of silence. I think pausing, just being quiet as a leader, you know, enabling your, your people to, to, to speak, um, find the words to describe their own thoughts without being hurried along is, is massively important. Removing distractions. And I don't just mean, you know, get stuff out of the way behind you when you're on a Zoom call. I, I think I mean probably remove internal distractions more you know worrying about the call that you've just had or the call that's that's going to come to try to really um give the person who's speaking in in that present moment your full and undivided attention and difficult though that is again is key and then the, the third listening tip i would be would to would be to, to summarize using their own words you know there's, there's something very um very engaging about hearing people saying so if i've understood you correctly what you seem to be saying is is and, and, and playing back their words to them. You, you've done that a couple of times on, on this call today. You know, it's, it's really helpful 
um, in enabling people to to think well. Mm, yeah. Uh, and then observe. I mean, um, more more difficult these days, I guess, if we're not doing quite as much face to face interaction as we once did. Um, but it's really a question of is the is the body dancing in tune with the words that the person you're using? And if there if it's not, if there's a dissonance there, it's perhaps being able to challenge that in a sensitive way by saying, OK, you know, you, you're, you're telling me you're full of enthusiasm for this latest change initiative. But that's not what I'm seeing in the way that you're sitting. Is this something that we can talk about some more? Um, so so those would be the three hacks to, to ask, to listen, to observe. That's great. I love that last one as well. And I think it's probably one that we still don't tap into enough. And it's that intuitive response when we see somebody in something and it's incongruent. As a coach and as a leader, as a coach, our job is just to voice it, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I often say perhaps the big trick is just to do it from a place of curiosity. So, Steve, I'm noticing that what you're saying is is X, X, Y, Z, but what I see is ABC. You know, it, it could be me, but could we just talk about this for, for a moment or two? So it, it's almost providing that gentle opening for, for the person who's answering the question. So, well, actually, now that you say that, yeah, here, here's what I'm feeling. And as a leader, that might be a difficult thing to have to hear. But I've always found that it's much better to get it out in the open than this thing just kind of going on under the surface. Definitely so. And of course, it could also be a bias from the coach themselves. And therefore, again, just by using your words of curiosity, by being curious about it, at least it gets it out. And therefore, we, we get to know whether it's true or not, don't we? Yeah. And, and, and what, what harm in the coach saying, well, look, this could be my bias, but, you know, because... It's the spirit of exploration. I mean, to go back to, to Tim Galway, I mentioned earlier on, he has this lovely turn of phrase and he says that it, um, coaching is a conversation in which two people are learning. And yes, that's absolutely been my experience as well. This is not about the coach, you know, kind of doing something to somebody. It's two people meeting as equals, exploring uh, a situation. And I invariably find out lots about the way that the world works and the way that people operate in it when I'm coaching people from the wonderful answers that they give me, you know, the, the fantastic thinking that they're able to do. Yeah. Great stuff. So next part of our show, we call hack to attack, Matt. Okay. So this is hack where something in your life or work hasn't worked out, but as a result of the experience, it's now serving you well. What would be your hack to attack? Okay. My hack to attack. So this goes back to my early career. Um, which I mentioned at the top was in, in high street banking. And when I was on the, on, on the counter, we used to call it in the UK working on the till, you know, but you were facing the public uh, exchanging money and so on. We had a, a leader, she was called the first cashier. I think in the States that would be the, the head teller or, or yeah. something like that. And she would often um, close down, you know, busy time, but she would, she would close her, her till down and, and start doing other things. And this sort of really annoyed both the, the, the staff and the, the customers alike. And one day when I, I guess, was feeling particularly miffed about this, um, I got some correction fluid and I added a little S at the front of her sign that she would turn around, which would normally say till closed, you know, and she would put it in a glass screen and let the world know that her till was closed. So I added this S, which means, <laughs> which means it read still closed, you know. Now, um, this, this, this raised a laugh and I suppose made everybody sort of have a chuckle and feel a bit better for a while. 
But what I realized looking back on that was I absolutely undermined that lady's leadership by doing that, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty embarrassed about it now, if I'm honest, because I think what I realized really that the hack to attack is that if you want to be a better leader, well, start with being a better follower. You know, if I was in any way feeling that she wasn't asserting the greatest of leadership, well, then why not help, you know, instead of make her job even harder. So I got a nice ego stroke out of it, you know, because I was the, the clown for an afternoon. Um, but it, it wasn't great looking back and it's certainly not, not to be recommended. It's great awareness, though, having gone through that experience and recognising that you actually can really help leaders by giving them some feed forward, can't you? You, you can, you can. And I think that um, sometimes, again, it, it comes up in the sort of training I do. Matt, can I coach my boss? And I'll say, yeah, absolutely. And please do, because I'm, I'm sure they need all the help they can get. I mean, you might not sit them down and say, right, boss, I'm going to coach you for the next two hours. You know, so we're going to turn the lighting down and sit in, in soft furnishings. But the idea of coaching, um, enabling other people to work with great awareness and learn from those experiences, uh, from their own experiences, you know, is not connected in any way to a hierarchy. It can flow in all kinds of directions. Yeah, it can. So the last thing we're going to do is give you an opportunity to go and do some time travel, bump into Matt at 21, and you're able to look him in the eye and give him some advice. So what would it be? Well, I heard this question come up on, on some of the other podcasts I listened to before this. So uh, I, I did do some thinking about this in advance. And the, the first thing I wrote down on my notes here actually is I would say to him, don't have that next Budweiser. It really doesn't end well. But um, that's, that's a, a conversation for another day. Two, two things, really, uh, seriously, to my 21-year-old self or, or, or anyone at that stage in their career, two things. One is take more risks you've got less to lose and, and you have a lot longer to recover, you know. So um, I, I wish I'd gotten involved in trying to set up my own business or do something entrepreneurial a, a, a lot earlier than I did because by the time I was working in that way, you know, I was married, I had a child, a mortgage, all, all of those things that, you know, don't don't make it impossible, but it, it's certainly not easier. So, so take more risks and, and have more fun. Um, I always say to people, you've only got 10 years to be in your 20s. It's... Uh, it's a short time. It, it flies by. Um, you may still be in your 20s. Steve. I, I, <laughs> As I you will know, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm long past them, you know. So, uh, yeah, I, I think probably took myself a little bit too seriously back then. It was all about the career, you know, and sort of moving up the greasy pole. And I already had a, a mortgage on a home I'd bought and blah, blah, blah. It was, um, I, I, I don't know. I could have waited. I, I could have spent more time perhaps drinking Budweiser and doing other fun things, you know. So take more risks, have more fun is, is what I would say to 21-year-old men. And they echo very similar conversations I have with my 21-year-old daughter, and I've got two boys in their early 20s as well. And, you know, mm. it's that kind of seize the moment. And I love the, the notion of you've got a longer time to recover because I don't think you realise that at a young age, do you? No, you don't. I think they think they've got to have it all sort of squared away. And, and again, you know, there's, there's a COVID lesson, isn't there? Um, bless them, they've had so much disruption in the last 15, 18 months that uh, I think, yeah, there's some of those other concerns can, can wait. They're going to be working a lot longer in their lives than you and I, I suspect, yeah. uh, Steve, you know, so there's plenty of time. Exactly right. So what's the focus of your work right now, Matt? So I found uh, a sweet spot, um, a sweet spot between uh, executive coaching, that sort of one-to-one -one relationship and the coaching skills training. So in other words, I'm doing a lot of coaching skills training still, um, helping leaders adopt 
a coaching style of leadership or to build that into their style. But I'm tending to do that now on a one-to-one basis rather than a a, a one-to-many typically, which is great, I think, for for two reasons. Because one, going back to one of our earlier conversations, for for more senior leaders who perhaps don't want to sort of launder these ideas in in a group setting, they can find that very helpful. And the other great advantage, of course, is everything can be done real time on their own business, you know, rather than sort of fictional case studies or things that they, they might have encountered on a on a program. So that's that's proven to be quite popular and, and working quite well. Great stuff. So if our folks wanted to find out a little bit more about the work you're doing and maybe get uh-huh. a copy of Coaching at Work, where's the best place for us to send them? Oh, okay. Uh, well, probably the best place would be um, my website, which is uh, com. Uh, but equally, uh, and preferably, actually, I, I like it when people reach out on LinkedIn. So I'm on LinkedIn forward slash Matt Summers. And uh, I prefer that because that tends to mean we can get a dialogue going, you know, and, and have a discussion about things. So um, find, find me on LinkedIn. That would be lovely. And they won't need to find you because we'll make sure in the show notes of this show, they can click on those links that will be embedded in there for you. Oh, that'd be great, Steve. Thank you. Matt, I've loved talking coaching with you. Thanks ever so much for taking time out to be on the show and really appreciate you being with us. Yeah, that's my pleasure, Steve. It's been been really fascinating and uh, thank you again for having me on. You're welcome. Thanks, Matt. I genuinely want to say a heartfelt thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in too. We do this in the service of helping others and spreading the word of leadership. Without you listening in, there would be no show. So please subscribe now if you haven't done so already. Share this podcast with your communities and network and help us develop a community and a tribe of leadership hackers. And finally, if you'd like me to work with your senior team, your leadership community, keynote an event, or you would like to sponsor an episode, please connect with us via our social media. And you can do that by following and liking our pages on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle there is at Leadership Hacker. Instagram, you can find us there at the underscore leadership underscore hacker and at YouTube, we're just Leadership Hacker. So that's me signing off. I'm Steve Rush and I've been the Leadership Hacker.